0: Welcome to the New Life Philly podcast, every week we share fresh insights as we explore the inexhaustible depths of the Word of God. We pray that you will be encouraged and challenged today as we continue in our study. Let's join in now. Well, it's obvious that God is in our midst, amen? It's obvious that God is a good God. He has brought us to this very moment uh, to the preaching of His Word. Let me just pray for our sermon time. Heavenly Father, I I just simply ask that the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, would be pleasing in your sight this day, my rock and my redeemer. I ask that you would give everyone here ears that can hear and hearts that can perceive your truth as it is spoken in your word and preached in your sermon. Lord, anything that may be said today that is not of your, it doesn't really belong to your truth. Just pray that people would quickly forget, but that which is on your heart, that it would sink into our hearts and change us forever. That's my prayer. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we are going to be talking about, we're going to continue with the story of Jesus in the book of Mark. We're going to be talking today about perception. Perception, um, a way, the, the dictionary describes this, a way of understanding Or interpreting something—it's simply just the way that we see the world around us. Now, uh, let me pull out my laser thingy, Bob. Here, Um, I have a picture for you. It's—I'm not sure. I asked some of the younger folks. I'm not sure they would remember this picture, but those of us who've been around for a little while will remember this picture because it's kind of like a classic picture uh, on perception: seeing one thing and then seeing another. So, we can bring that up. Uh, It's the picture on the left here. Um, So the basic question is, do you see a young woman or do you see an old woman? Who, let me put it this way, who can't see the young woman? Everybody see the young woman? Okay. Is there anyone here who can't see the old woman? Okay, so this is why I have a clicker. This is why we're, you got it? The old woman, this is her eyes, this is her nose right there, that's her mouth. She's kind of looking at the woman's, young woman's looking away, but the older woman right here, this is kind of almost like a shawl over her head, like a fur around her, and that's her mouth, that's her chin. You see her now? Okay, all right. That's, you just proved my point. You just proved it. We can see one thing, and then we can see another, and sometimes we don't see anything at all. That's the point of today's sermon. It's not just that we're talking about perception, we're talking about false perception. Seeing one thing when Jesus really wants us to see something else. We continue, as I said, in the book of Mark. And um, we, Larry was supposed to preach last week, couldn't because he heard his name. Bob stepped in and preached a great sermon and the Psalms. Larry is feeling better. He's probably, he'll be back in action, I'm assuming, next week. But Mark, let me remind you, Mark is a book that has three sections. I call them Acts, Act 1, 2, 3. And we're just about to close Act 1 of the book of Mark, which is all about a- asking the question, who is Jesus? And then a couple verses from now, we will be in, in the Act 2 of Mark which is all about what does it mean for Jesus to be Messiah. And if Flower was preaching last week, we would have heard the preaching, uh, the feeding of the 4,000. Jesus had already fed 5,000 Jewish men. We remember that story. And now he fed 4,000. He's in the Gentile region. He feeds 4,000 Gentiles. Uh, and then the Pharisees come to him, and they begin to argue with Jesus. And he they demand a sign from him. And he says, no sign will be given to this generation. They get back in the boat, which was their custom, and they, they go to another area. They actually go to the area of Dalman Utha, which is the west side of Sea of Galilee. We know that. We don't know anymore the, certain, the exact location. And that's where we pick up the story in Mark today. So please stand. We'll read the scripture together in Mark uh, four, chapter 8, verses 14 through 21. Hear and perceive the word of God. Let's read together. Now they had forgotten bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, 12. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you pick up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, Do you not yet understand the word of the Lord? Amen. You may be seated. My main idea today is this. It's a warning. Watch out. Watch out. False perception destroys spiritual understanding. Watch out. False perception destroys spiritual understanding. And there's three problems that I see in the text with false perception of the disciples and our own false perception. With our false perception, we can't see God in the present moment. We can't see external threats, and we become spiritually blind and deaf. That's not we're going to, where we're going to end the sermon. We're going to end on a, a note of hope. There is hope for real change in all of us. That's where we're going. We have a little bit of challenging terrain before we get there. My first point, we can't see God in the present moment, verses 14 through 16. So they're back in the boat, like I said. And a lot of significant things happen in the boat. Did you notice that in the book of Mark? Remember the storm that arises and Jesus is asleep in the stern of the boat? Disciples are like, we're going to die, we're going to die. And Jesus comes to the sea and they're amazed. And Jesus says, get the boat ready, because there's a lot of people on the shore, and I don't want to be crushed by them. Jesus gets in the boat. He delivers his sermon to the people on the shoreline. Remember that? And then another storm arises. And remember when Jesus was walking on the water? They were in the boat. A lot of significant things seem to happen in the boat. That's because they're on the Sea of Galilee, and they would get in the boat. They would go, remember, they would go to a distant land, a desolate place to get away from everyone. They're going various places on the Sea of Galilee, so the best place for them to be is in that boat, going to another place to teach that the kingdom of God is near. <clears throat> and they now it's obvious that the disciples are hungry because they start talking about bread. And they start discussing, well, we only have one loaf. That's not going to be enough. And notice the kind of the progression of verse 14, 15, and 16. They notice they only have one loaf. And then Jesus says this really odd thing. He says, beware. Watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And then it says in the scripture that we read today, they began discussing. Now, that looks like they began discussing based on what Jesus said. But if you look into the Greek, I think if you look, for example, in the Christian Standard Bible, I think they're a little bit closer to what's getting at in the Greek. They, they said they were discussing. That scripture says, that translation says they were discussing. But if you look at the grammar, what it really is saying is they continued discussing. So it goes like this. You know, they, they notice they don't have enough bread. They're hungry. And the, Jesus says this weird thing about yeast, leaven. And instead of really paying attention, they're like, you know, Jesus, uh, he's trying to get in on the conversation. You know, He's talking about yeast, you know, which is related to bread. And they just continue discussing. They're just not paying attention to him. That's really what's going on in this scripture. And so it's really interesting. Jesus feeds the 4,000. He feeds the 5,000. And here are the disciples worried that they don't have enough bread. Why can they not trust that Jesus will provide for them? After all he's done, all the miracles they have watched, the disciples, now get this, the disciples are worried about a loaf of bread instead of perceiving that the bread of life, Jesus is right in the boat with them. He is right there able to provide every single need they have. They have lost, they are lost in their false perception of things. Apparently, being in the presence of Jesus Christ is not a guarantee of spiritual understanding. And, you know, we're hard on the disciples. We're hard on the disciples. But but think about it for a second. This is pre-resurrection. This is pre-the anointing of the Holy Spirit upon the disciples. So their, their false perception makes a little bit of sense, doesn't it? They don't have enough to discern yet what is really going on with Jesus. So I think we can give them a little bit of a break. But what about our false perception of things? Those of us who have been given the resurrection life. Those of us who have been given the Holy Spirit. Why is it so hard to perceive Jesus in the present moment? Well, my contention is it's the way we've been discipled. It's the way that we've been discipled not to think about the present moment. We don't think enough about the present moment. We're always hurrying to the future. And it leads to false perception. We are often lost In the movie of our minds, and that so many times is in the future, in the past, rarely in the present moment. We've been discipled a lot about reason, about our mind, which is okay. We always ask God for the renewal of our mind. But don't forget about the present moment. Don't forget about Jesus in your present moment. And then we're not discipled in gratitude. Thanking God for your present moment, just as it is not the way you want it to be. Assuming that somehow God is doing something in this present moment and to be grateful for it. There is American Trappist monk. His name is Thomas Merton. You may have heard of him. He wrote this book called The New Seeds of Contemplation. And he talks about the will of God. And he says, we often think of the will of God as an arbitrary force bearing down upon us with implacable hostility. The will of God is this force that's always driving down upon us that we can never fully satisfy. And he says that drives human weakness to despair. He said, if you want to think of the will of God, think of it this way. And here's the quote. Think of the present moment. He says, but in all things that happens, my one desire and my one joy should be to know here is the thing that God has willed for me. He's saying the present moment. This is what God has willed for me. In this, his love is found. And in accepting this, I can give back his love to him and give myself with it to him. Give myself with the present moment to him. And by accepting all things from him, I receive his joy into my soul. Now get this, not because things are what they are, but because God is who he is. And his love has willed my joy in them all. He has willed my joy in this present moment, regardless of what it is. Now, there is one caveat. And if you've tuned out right now because of some really horrific thing in your life, I need you to tune back in. Because the one caveat is, if you're in a situation of emotional, physical, or sexual abuse, you are not to thank God for that. You are to ask God to get you out of that relationship. Ask the people of God, the church, your friends, you got to get out of that relationship. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is the normal challenges of life that we don't thank God for. Is that clear? That has to be clear. That caveat is really, really important in a day when people are really getting in touch with their trauma and remembering trauma that they have forgotten about. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the normal challenges of our lives. Gratitude for the present moment. This is the day. This is the day. That the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. We will rejoice if there's good things, and we will rejoice if there are bad things, challenging things, because this is the day that the Lord has made. What that's saying is, look for Jesus in your boat. Look for Jesus in your boat, because he's there, the bread of life, giving you what you need. And maybe if the disciples we're actually thanking God for the one loaf of bread they had, maybe their perception of things would have changed. I don't know. But they could not perceive that the bread of life was with them. Look for Jesus, the bread of life, in your present moment. He is there. I guarantee it. And he is saying something to you right now. Guaranteed. So with our false perception of things, we can't see God in the present moment. But we also can't see the external threats. Verse 15 again. Jesus says, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Herod. And leaven is just simply yeast. But in the ancient Near Eastern world, they couldn't go to the grocery store, bag, get a packet of yeast, put it in warm water, let it foam, put it in the dough, let it rise. That's not the way it worked. The way it works is a lot like we do sourdough. You pull off a clump of the already risen dough, you put it in a jar, you put it to the side, and next time you're doing bread, you pull out that little chump chunk of yeast, chunk of leaven, you put it in the big and it infiltrates every part of the loaf. That's how they did it in the ancient Near Eastern world. But the point being is a little yeast, we know this, we don't have to be ancient Near Easterns to know this, a little yeast goes a long way. It gets through the dough quickly and it causes it to rise. Sometimes yeast is the spreading of God's kingdom, it's a good thing, but a lot of times it's a bad thing, like it is here Be aware of the leaven, the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. Well, what's he talking about? And that's an odd grouping, really, because these two groups, Herod and the Pharisees, had nothing in common. They didn't even like each other all that much. Now, if you look at this in the book of Matthew, when he tells the story, he says, watch out for the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. If you look in the book of Luke, he says, watch out for the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. But here he's saying the Pharisees and Herod, who don't have anything in common, except they don't like Jesus. And eventually they want Jesus dead. They are against Jesus Herod and his followers, the Herodians, that's a political alliance. Herod the king. Pharisees, a religious alliance. And Jesus is a threat to both of those institutions. Religion, aligning itself with politics. Now we know this can be a very dangerous thing. And Jesus is saying, watch out. You're talking about bread And I'm saying your life is in danger. And it's not just a physical threat, it's a spiritual threat. It's a threat to their perception. Because the yeast of the Pharisees and and the yeast of Herod, it's starting to infiltrate into the boat. It's starting to get into the heart of the disciples. And he's saying, watch out. That's how yeast works. Just a little bit has to be in it, and it rises the whole dough. It's in your midst. Yes, see, the physical threat, but also the spiritual threat. Causing a darkness to your perception of things. What about us? How should the church, this is the way I would like to ask the question, how should church and culture relate to one another? It's an age-old question. How should culture and the church or Christ relate to one another? And I remember in college, I read this book. It's a classic. It's by Richard Niebuhr. It's called Christ and Culture. And he lays out five ways that we all, Christ often relates to culture. And he says, the first is Christ against culture. The church should always separate from culture. That's the more conservative view. Then there's Christ of culture, a complete assimilation of the church in culture. That's a little bit more of a liberal view. And then there's Christ above culture. Christ dominates culture, always telling the people of the world what to do and dominating them. And then there's Christ and culture and paradox. They live side by side in some weird little tension. But then there's what he says is the biblical view, which I agree with, which is Christ transforms culture. See, the problem is, I think that we're always thinking how are other people being affected By culture We disagree with somebody How how are they being affected by culture When I think what we need to be saying is How am I being Affected by culture What relationship Do I have With culture Another way of saying it is Who's discipling you Now Pastors like myself Pastor Larry, others Elders, this is what kind of keeps us up at night. We know we're not discipling you. Because we really only get you for a few hours a week. Maybe your discipleship group gets you for a couple more. But the culture has you for hours upon hours upon hours social media, TV, books, video games, podcasts, news. It goes on and on. And the biggest culprit is this. Amen. Truth be told, this is what's discipling us. Yeah. And almost every time, and almost every sermon I preach, I bring it up now because you have to turn that thing off for big periods of time or it's discipling you. It disciples me. It reminds me on a regular basis, ding, vibration, you haven't paid attention to me enough. That, that makes us laugh, because it is funny, but that's dangerous, because it's discipling you. And then if you've been a Christian for a while, and I don't think this is all a bad thing, but other pastors are discipling you as well. They're, you're reading their books, you're listening to their sermons, you're hearing them on their podcast. I'm not against that. I read them too. And I know Pastor Larry's not against you reading books. Let me say it again, if you don't know the joke. Pastor Larry's not against you reading books. I'm like 10 books behind on my Larry's list of books I should be reading. So we're not against you reading books. We're not against you reading these books. But here's the rub. These other pastors are not walking with you day by day. They don't see you like we see you. We see the good. And we see the bad. And you, as pastors, you see our good, and you see our bad. That's discipleship. It doesn't mean that they can't influence you. And it doesn't even mean you can't come and challenge us with what they're saying. We're open to that. But who's discipling you? Who has authority over your life? Who has shepherd Jesus say, I need you guys. I need you folks. It could be men, you know, in our church. It could be the elders. But it could be life group leaders. It could be pe- people who are leading women's Bible study. It could be men or women. Who's discipling you? I hope it's us. But then that's where the rub is. And it, it comes down to who has Jesus asked to have authority in our lives? Not a abusive authority. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about loving authority, shepherding authority, authority like Jesus, servanthood, laying down our lives. Who's discipling you? Finally, false perception, destro- while well, it destroys spiritual understanding, it leaves us unaware of the threats that are all around us, really. But then it, finally, it leaves us blind and uh, verses 17 through 20. And at this point, Jesus, you kind of feel his frustration because they've been with him for a while. And he's, he's saying to the disciples, he's saying to his followers, who's discipling you? Because I know it's not me in this moment. You're blind. You're deaf. The leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod has crept right into this boat. And then he asks them a series of eight rhetorical questions to get their attention. And I'm reading right out of the Pillar New Testament commentary because I cannot say it better. I think this hits the point when he says the first question is, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? And the the commentary says the word translated, which can also mean to reason or consider, occurs seven times in Mark, but never positively. In this instant, it describes various parties Scribes, disciples, Sanhedrin, attempting to resolve the meaning of Jesus on their own. Remember I said we're in the book of Mark saying, who is Jesus? All these people trying to discern who Jesus is on their own. But, and here it is, apart from the illuminating word of Jesus himself, however, human ruminations are futile and do not lead to understanding. That is the crux of the matter. False perception destroys spiritual understanding. And then he says, do you not yet perceive or understand? And we need to be hearing these questions as coming to us as well. There it is, that perceptionist issue again. Do you not yet perceive or understand? No, they don't, Jesus. And then listen to these questions and take them into your heart. Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? Is Jesus scolding them? I don't think so. He's warning them. Watch out. That leaven, just a little bit, it creeps in. Your soul is in real jeopardy here if you keep following the reasoning of the Pharisees and that of Herod, because they want nothing to do with my kingdom, have nothing to do with the leaven that they are promoting And then he says, and do you not remember? Remembrance is such an important thing in the Bible because we forget so easily. He says, remember. Remember when I fed the 5,000 with five loaves? How how many baskets full of bread did you have left over? And they said, 12 baskets. And he said, with the 4,000, which I just did, with seven loaves, how many baskets? Seven baskets. Jesus is stimulating their remembrance in love. He's loving on them, not scolding them. The biggest issue that I see, let's say it this way, one of the biggest issues I see as a pastor in this generation is that we forget to remember what God has done. And then we try to resolve our issues through reasoning without consulting God. I see it over and over again in my heart, and I see it over and over again in your heart. Because I ask you the question, did you pray about that? And you give me a look. Did you really pray about it? No, I didn't consult God. And I am guilty. (laughs) My, My mentor asked me that question a thousand times, I guarantee. We forget. Life is not a puzzle. You cannot put puzzle pieces in the exact order and figure it out on your own. It just cannot be done. I heard one pastor say, life is too dark for our unaided wisdom. The darkness of this world is too great for our unaided wisdom. But the wisdom that God gives, the illumination of Jesus Christ himself, the very presence of Jesus in the boat with the disciples in the present moment of our lives, the illumination of Jesus Christ as the wisdom of God is what gives you understanding. It's what gives me understanding. So I want you to say, maybe, you know, maybe I have a faulty perception of things. Maybe my faulty perception is limiting my spiritual understanding of Jesus in my life and in this world. In other words, I want you, in a healthy way, to distrust your own perception of things. And then we argue with people who have different opinions and perceptions than we do. And we try to convince them of our perception. Instead, we need to learn to really listen to other people, especially when they disagree with us. And sometimes the argument's only in our minds. We're not saying it to them, but we're thinking. Because you know how it is. You're telling me your point of view, which is different than my point of view. And in my mind, all I'm doing is coming up with my own logic to counter-argue you. I'm not listening to you. I'm coming up with what I believe. That's what we do so often. So I have an assignment for you today. I want you to listen with curiosity. I want you to choose a Christian person who disagrees with you. Now, you know who they are. In a second, I came up with five people in this church who disagree with me. (laughs) You know who they are. They do not see the Christian life the way you do. Your assignment for this week is to find somebody and to listen to their opinion for 15 to 20 minutes and not offer your opinion at all. And do your best not even to think of your opinion, to really dig in and listen to them. You're only allowed to ask clarifying questions, like "Help me," you know. You just said this one thing; it doesn't make sense to me. Help me understand this. You're allowed to do that—clarifying questions only. You're not allowed to share your own opinion or your own point of view. And if that person is in this church, then you flip the roles, and they listen to you for 15 to 20 minutes. Can be 10 to 15, but choose a topic that you know you disagree about. Now, I did this this week. I'm not going to ask you to do something I haven't done. So I have, I have I called up Jed Trott. Jed Trott and I do not see the Christian life the same way. And we have been with each other a long time. We just don't look at things the same way. He was one of the, he was, it came to mind immediately. I said, Jed, will you do this with me? He's like, yes. And I, was, I said to Jed, you don't even have to listen to my opinion if you don't want. But he graciously listened to me. And we went right into the deep end. We talked about politics. We talked about masks. We talked about critical race theory. We talked about mandated vaccinations and so much more. We even talked about the Whiskey Rebellion of 1794. <laughs> if you talk to Jed, you're going to get some history, which is always nice. I forgot about the Whiskey Rebellion of 1794, but it was it was pertinent for our conversation. And I listened to him. And he was gracious enough to listen to me. Jed, I I would venture to guess that we still have some disagreements, right? Yeah. (laughs) But what I noticed when I stopped my own opinion, I'd shut it down for 15 to 20 minutes. His opinion was allowed to inform my opinion. His opinion informed my opinion. That's what we have to get to. Watch out. Like disciples, we are often blind and deaf. But there is hope for real change. God does not leave us that way. There is hope for real change. You really can listen to people who disagree with you. I guarantee it. If I can do it, if Jed can do it, anyone can do it. I guarantee it. So listen to one another. But here's where the change is. Here is where the hope is. One little word. It's one word. I think it's the most important word in our scripture today, and it's repeated twice. The Greek word is upo. Do you know what it is? Do you know what that little word is? It's the word yet. The very last thing Jesus says is, do you not, do you not understand yet? Do you not yet understand? Remember the question, do you not yet understand or perceive? Yet. That means God is going to get the disciples. Jesus is going to get the disciples exactly where he wants them to be. He's going to get them to the cross. He's about to say, the the Mount of Transfiguration is coming up, where he is seen in all of his glory. And he's going to say, I will be a ransom for many. I will die on the cross. As a a sacrifice for people's sin, I will be raised up on the third day in resurrection power. I will give that resurrection power to the disciples, and they will give it in their teaching and preaching through the whole world. And then I will grant to them the Holy Spirit, and I will give you the Holy Spirit. That is the hope. We might not see things we see in a mirror dimly, we might not see everything yet. So, Mike, if you can come on up here, brother, just play a nice little ditty on the piano for us. Um, Jesus will not let you alone in your spiritual blindness and deafness. Now, how do I know that? Well, this section of Scripture is bracketed by two miracles. The first miracle, chapter, Mark chapter 7, verses 31 and following, Jesus heals a deaf man. The very next verse, 22, he heals a blind man. Now what, that, what is that saying? There, what, one of the things it's saying is, there will come a day, especially in the future kingdom of God in glory, there will be no more death, there will be no more blind. But it's saying something way more important than that. For us, especially in the darkness of our own perception, it's saying, "I will not leave you spiritually blind." Jesus is saying I will not leave you spiritually deaf. I'm giving you ears that can hear. I'm giving you eyes that can see. I'm taking away that heart heart of stone and I'm giving it a heart of flesh that heart can perceive. That is the heart we have. We have the Holy Spirit. We can do all kinds of things with this heart. We can lead. We are meant to lead this world which is dying in its darkness. We are the ones that are meant to lead them to Jesus who will open their hearts that they may see. It's time for us to stop bickering and arguing with each other, really listening to each other, that the Holy Spirit may penetrate us as a church, even the church in America, even the church that has turned its back on Jesus, We are the church of Christ and we will never be defeated. The gates of hell will never prevail against us. Our present moment may be really difficult, but that is not the end of the story. Hallelujah. It is just not the end of the story. The end of the story is glory. The end of the story is resurrection life in full abundance. More more bread than you know what to do with More bread than you could possibly eat. Jesus is enough. He's enough. We may not understand yet, but that day is coming when we will. My prayer for us today is you would see Jesus in the boat with you right now and listen to what He's saying to you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, we confess that so many times we try to go about our life in our own understanding. Forgive us. And as we're about to eat your body, your bread, and drink your cup, your blood, transform us, that we may be a people who use to transform culture, to transform this world, to transform this city, to transform this nation. We can't do without you, Lord. We need you desperately to change our hearts. Give us eyes and give us ears. And we know you're going to do it. Why? Because you promised you're going to do it. And we take you up on that promise this day in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope that you've been blessed today by the preaching of God's word. Join us every week for fresh insights on the New Life Philly podcast you would like to reach out to our church for more information, or if there's some way we can pray for you, please visit newlifephilly.net or email newlife at newlifephilly.net. May the Lord richly bless you this week.